How marvelous, how wonderful is our God. And we sing that, and as the chorus tells us, we sing that because of His amazing love. And we've been looking really at His love over these past several weeks in the epistle of Ephesians. Paul is just absolutely mind-blown by God's outrageous love for us. And uh, in that, recognizing who we are uh, or who we were before we were saved and what Christ has actually done to save us. So the Apostle Paul has laid this out in no uncertain terms for us over the past several weeks, <clears throat> that we were as lost as lost can be without Jesus Christ, that we are as far away from Christ as one can possibly be when we live without Jesus Christ, when we live without salvation. <clears throat> But God in His outrageous love, as we just sang about, His outrageous grace, His amazing grace, chooses to save us. And when we are saved now, we move from being His enemy, which is unbelievable because the Bible says, without Christ we are His enemy, to becoming His very child and becoming a part of the family of God. If that's not mind-blowing to you, then you're not fully grasping what the Apostle Paul is saying uh, here. And it's interesting to me, though, and it's very interesting, as we're going to see in our text today, that even with that thought, even with that mentality of how outrageous and amazing that is, that we as humans are extremely unique, especially in the way that we, we think. We realize how bad we were and how amazing God's grace is for us. And we truly are, and many of us would agree, we're in awe of what God has done. And yet, if we were 100% honest, and I mean really, really deeply honest, I don't know if it's our Western mentality, I don't know what it is, but there's something inside of us that is so small, so tiny, that sometimes we actually believe in one way or another we deserve the salvation that God has given to us, that you know, I understand why, why I'm, so, I, I understand, I mean, maybe there's some good in me, maybe there's something about me, maybe a little bit of something that, that it makes sense that God would choose me. After all, I'm not as bad as, right? What can I encourage you today? That is the farthest thing from the truth that you could ever imagine. All of us are so wicked and so full of sin before salvation that there is absolutely no redeeming value in us at all. Which means, and I want you to hear me, that is an absolute miracle that we could be saved at all. You know, it's interesting to me, just a little side note, this is free for you today. It's amazing to me that people say miracles don't happen today. Salvation is the greatest miracle that will ever happen. And it's the only miracle that matters the most, which is salvation. The very fact that the God of this universe, holy and just and perfect, so far uh, above and beyond us, and we were so far away in our sin, would allow us to be saved is a miraculous miracle. But unfortunately, because of how unique we are in the way that we think, we actually go one other step. We go to the other side of this equation as well. And while we would probably never admit it out loud, we would never say it, and probably what I just shared with you, we would never say out loud. We believe that there are some people, uh, for whatever reason we want to put on there, whatever excuse we want to give, we believe that some people are beyond redemption. 
we, uh, that they are beyond hope, that we should consider them as such. Now, I am not implying that everyone will eventually be saved. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and that should break our heart. But based upon some, some criteria that we come up with, we look at or we size up certain people and believe that they are beyond all hope and redemption. Can I give you an example of this? One day there was a man poised to jump off of a bridge, and another man wanted to save his life. He wanted to build a rapport with the man, talk to him, and talk him down. So he ran over to the man as quick as he could, and he said, don't do it. And the man replied, nobody loves me. And he said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And the man said, yes. So he said, are you a Christian or a Jew? And the man said, a Christian. Well, me too. A Protestant or a Catholic? The man said, a Protestant. Well, me too. Well, what denomination? Well, I'm a Baptist. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Well, the man said, Northern Baptist. Well, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? And the man said, Northern conservative Baptist. Well, me too. Are you Northern conservative Baptist Great Lake region or Northern conservative Baptist Eastern region? And the man said, Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And the man said, I am Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the man said, die, heretic. And he pushed him into the river. Now, as you can see, based upon this man's criteria, very small as it was, this poor man was beyond all hope. And interestingly enough, as funny as that is to us, that's really where the Jews were. This is exactly what Paul is addressing with the Jews here. The Jews knew uh, and believed and flaunted even that they were God's chosen people. And as good humans. This completely went to their heads. And as we'll see in our text, the Jews believed that Gentiles, simply because, listen now, they were not Jews, just simply because they were not Jews, no other criteria, could not enjoy the salvation that God freely gives, just because they're Gentiles. Now, this was a big problem for Paul and a big problem for the churches in Ephesus because the majority of the congregants in Ephesus were Gentiles. They were believers. They had turned to Christ. They accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the Jews did not believe that the Gentiles could be saved. And so uh, this was a huge problem. And if you don't know this today, this would be a very huge problem for us. Because I think I'm pretty safe in saying that probably the majority of us do not have any Jewish heritage uh, in our lineage, that quite honestly, we are Gentiles uh, there. Now, if you are do have Jewish lineage, then you're a minority uh, in the group here, and you're safe no matter what. No, that's not what he's saying. No. Scratch that. Make sure you don't accept that. So the Apostle Paul jumps into this, and he wants them to understand. He's just finished giving this great exhortation of what salvation is. Salvation is by faith, uh, by 
by grace through faith. He just lays all this out, and now he wants to nail down something that is so very, very important. In verse number 11, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. As I said, the Jews knew that they were God's chosen people. And <clears throat> this went straight to their head. And it's so important to note, and you need to understand this, that God chose Israel, and they are God's chosen people. We would use that term. But God chose Israel only for the purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world. And Genesis 12 says that He brought the Messiah through the children of Israel so that it can be a blessing to all other nations, Right? So they're the conduit of the Messiah coming to the world. This is what it means to be God's chosen people. But the Jews took this to heart and they uh, realized that they were God's chosen people and they didn't believe that anybody else could be a part of their group. They could not enjoy salvation. So the Jews never proselytized. They didn't go out to try to win others, uh, bring them into Judaism. If you were a Jew, you were in. If you were not a Jew, then you were out. It was as simple as that. No other chance, no other choice. Now, before Christ at the cross, there were Gentiles who did uh, convert to Judaism. But in order to convert to Judaism, you had to give up your complete Gentile life and take on and assume the life of a Jew, meaning everything, the way that you lived, the way you conducted yourself. If you were a man, you had to take the mark of the covenant, which was circumcision. circumcision. Yeah, I can say that word. <clears throat> Too many C's. You know what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> Other than this process, according to the Jews, no one could be saved. That was it. You had to do this. And so Paul reminds his Gentile readers of this truth that they knew so very well. He began with the Gentiles of, you guys are separated. You guys are cast out. You guys are not part of the group. According to the Jews, you were called the uncircumcised. Now, you need to understand what that word means. We don't understand that in our language, but the reality is, is this was a racial slur. This was used as if we would use a word to call a different race something in a very slang way. And I'm not going to give you any of those words. You know what they are, okay? But that's what it was. It was to put them down. It was to to uh, show that they were not as good. It was a statement of disdain and true hatred. And then literally he says to them that they were considered outcasts. They were outcasts from Christ. The Jews believed that you couldn't come to Christ now that they could. They were outcasts from Israel. They couldn't enjoy anything that the Israelites enjoy. They were outcasts from the covenantal uh, promises that were given. And they were outcasts from any hope. Can you imagine? You're a Gentile. You have no hope whatsoever. Simply because you're a Gentile, this is what they were saying, you have no chance. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. It doesn't matter what you hear. It doesn't matter what you learn. It doesn't matter what you say or what you commit to. You have no chance because you are a Gentile. As a matter of fact, commentator William Barclay reveals the true heart of the Jew. And just listen to this. This will, this will surprise you. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. Immense contempt. The Gentiles said the Jews, listen now, 
were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That was their belief. The only thing that the Jews are here for is that they will fuel the fires of hell in the afterlife. God, that they said, loves only Israel and all the nations he had made. Only Israel of all the nations he had made. Now, before we get too angry at the Jews here, these, these, these Jews, this type of thinking exists today. Did you know that? It's within Christendom today. There are Christian quote-unquote groups and many individual believers that believe that the gospel will not reach certain people, that there are just certain people that cannot receive the gospel and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But before we even worry about that group, did you realize that all of us probably here today struggle with this in one way or another? Let me show you how. You say, I don't, I don't agree with that statement whatsoever, but I bet you you do. Those of us who may disagree with these quote-unquote Christians still struggle in our own way. We look at the lost world, we look at their sin and their lifestyle, and we write them off as unredeemable. We look at how sinful they are, how wicked they are, how horrible they are, how, the choices that they make, the way that they look, the way that they dress, the way that they uh, live out their life. And we say things like they're too far gone, their sin cannot be overcome, cannot be redeemed. The work of the cross cannot reach them. We may not formulate those words in those ways, but we think those thoughts. We look at them with the disdain the Jews had for the Gentiles. We get frustrated with the sins that they're in. We get angry with the sins that they are, and, and we say things like, I just wish they would all die. I've heard many Christians say that. I had one preacher tell me, I, I used this as an illustration before, I had one, one preacher talking about a certain lifestyle the homosexual lifestyle, and he said, we put them all on an island and blow them up. Well, that's the love of Christ, isn't it? Right? And we, we, we think we have some righteous reason to, to do that. We, we think we can do it. The story is told of a famous preacher who went out to evangelize with an evangelist who came to speak at his church. And the men went out to, to evangelize, and they came across this gentleman that was a very rough-looking man. His sin and lifestyle were evident just by looking at him. And they began to talk with, uh, about the Lord with this man, and, let him, and he let them know very quickly and very loudly that he wasn't interested in what they had to say. And this famous preacher simply wrote this man off as unredeemable. He's not going to receive Christ. He's not going to be saved. And he tried to leave. And the evangelist, on the other hand, felt differently, and 30 minutes later, this very sinful, this very belligerent man was kneeling with the evangelist, accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Are we too quick to write people off? Are we too quick to say they can't receive? Well, this is exactly what Paul is, is, is addressing here. He's saying you just write off the Gentiles simply because you believe they can't receive, they can't have. Paul goes, let me go farther, let me show you. He says, but now, in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who, was made, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man 
in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He says, it's true. You want to know the truth? The Gentiles have this right. Here's the truth. You are far away from God. But you know what? Jews, you need to remember, so are you. You see how he's putting this all together? He's saying, yeah, you were far away, you were out, but so was everyone else. The only reason, listen, what Paul's making the point here, the only reason anyone is accepted is because of the blood of Christ. No other reason. And it is the blood of Christ that brings you into fellowship with other believers. Paul literally spells out that Christ's death on the cross and his shed blood broke down every dividing wall that can be conceived. There's no difference. There's no division. In other words, let me put it this way. Anyone, no matter race, gender, lifestyle, background, upbringing, or anything else that you can come, come up with, anyone is able to receive the salvation that is offered in Christ. Can I put it this way? No one is outside the reach of God's grace. No matter what we think or how we think. Unless they want to be. Apologist Frank Turek usually puts it this way. He says, he says, and I really like what he says, God will not force you into his home when you don't want to have anything to do with him. Right? Meaning this, if you don't want to have anything to do with God now, you don't have anything to do with Jesus Christ now, you don't want to accept him or live for him or have anything to do with him now, why do you think you would want to have anything to do with him in heaven or for all of eternity? If you don't want him here, you're not going to want him there. And God loves you too much to make you go where you don't want to go, you see. People are saying, why in the world does God send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. He gives you the opportunity for heaven. You make the decision. You choose whether you want to receive Christ or not. And if you don't and you don't want anything to do with God here, you're not going to want to have anything to do with God there. And the only thing that stops anyone is them and them alone. The cross is sufficient for all. The God's redemption is offered to all. Only those who will not receive will not have. However, anyone who receives, anyone who receives is a part of the family of God. Anyone who receives comes in. This is exactly what Paul leads up to as he keeps going here, and that is this. He tells the, the Galatians in his letter to the Galatians that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, all who name the name of Christ as Lord and Savior and have evidence of God working in their life, all of those who are saved, genuinely saved now, not just lip service, but God has come in and redeemed them and give them new life, are one in Jesus Christ. With Christ as our Savior, there is to be no division. Can I put it this way? We'll talk about this just a little bit. You know what Paul's saying? There is to be no hostility between believers. None. There is to be no hostility between believers. And he drives this point home in verse 17 and 18. He says, And he came and preached peace 
to you who were far off, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now don't pull by that really quick. Just think about this. I want you to see this. Don't miss this. Paul lays out Christ's heart here, and he says this, Christ came to preach salvation, peace, and salvation came to preach peace to those who were far off and to preach salvation, to preach peace to those who are near. Far off were the Gentiles, near were the Jews, according to the Jewish standard. Now, don't miss this. Look what it says. What did Christ preach? He preached the exact same message to both. Did you see that? He preached the exact same message to both. The Gentiles who were outcasts as, uh, and the same message to the Jews who were thought that they were automatically in. Why? Because both were exactly the same. Both were equally lost and both were equally able to be saved. Do you see? The message doesn't change. He says there's no difference. He's no difference between Jew and Gentile. No difference than anyone else. It is all the same. He says, Paul puts it this way as he concluded that. He said, for through him, through Jesus Christ, we both have access to one spirit to the Father. Through salvation, we have access to the Father. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through salvation, putting our faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ, we all have access to the Father. In other words, everyone is equally separated from God when they are lost, and everyone is, e is equally able to come to the Father for salvation. And we are to exist together in peace. So this is where he goes with this now. He says that we're all one. Everyone can be saved. And when you're saved, we're all one body for one purpose. And this is the purpose he gives us in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. There is no such thing as a stranger when Jesus Christ is our common denominator. Right? There's no strangers as believers. There's no Gentile or Jew. We are all part of the body of Christ. He says, he goes on and explains this. So then there are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, or Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul's point is strong and powerful. The saved in Christ are all. If you are in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You are counted among the saints. You are a member of the household of God, and you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us who are saved bear those marks. We are all the same. We are all on the same level. We are to be united in Christ. Paul puts it plainly. He says, because Christ is our Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells each believer, we are to be united together. He's going to really talk about this in chapter 4 when we get there. But he's setting the groundwork here to let us know that if you are in Christ, if you are saved, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through his shed blood and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are united together as one body. And this is so very, very important. Why is this important? Because we live in a world of chaos, don't we? We live in a world that's literally at each other's throats. We live in a world that is mad at everyone and everything else. At least that's what our media wants us to believe. 
and what our government is definitely striving for and pushing for to divide our country and divide our people and to divide us. The problem is, is that they are succeeding and they're not only succeeding in our country, they're succeeding in the church. My heart is broken as I study more and more and, and look at the divisions and the factions and the things that are separating the church. Do you know that I can go online all week long and, and I can hear one person say this against one teaching or one thing or this against another one or this and, and how we're dividing the church? Jesus says, don't be divided, be united in Christ. Why? Because we have one great mission. And that mission is this. Not that you know all of the doctrines. Not that you get everything taken care of. Although that's very, very important. Don't misunderstand me. But we must be united in Christ so that we can win the lost. That's what it's about. He says we need to be united so that we can go out into this world. As a matter of fact, what he's saying here is to keep the main thing the main thing. Quit getting caught up in all the little things, all this little stuff that's out there that Satan is putting in front of you to keep you away from taking the gospel to a lost world. He wants to get us caught up in all of these little nuanced things so that we're arguing amongst each other instead of going out and doing what he wants us to do. Listen, if we're worried about arguing about each other, we'll never win the lost. We won't have time for them. We'll be too busy being right. God didn't call us to be right. He called us to take the gospel. You say, well, that's an oxymoron. I want to be right in giving the gospel. You understand what I'm saying. But I don't want to sacrifice the lost so I can win an argument with another brother or sister in Christ. How silly is that? How silly is that? And we need to become united in understanding that everyone has access to the cross and salvation. No one is too far gone or unable to be saved because if that was the case, you would not be saved today. Because I'm sorry to tell you, but you're as much of a sinner as the most horrible sinner you can think of in your mind. Just because you never got to that point of sin is because of God's amazing grace. You understand? If not by God's grace, there go I. There is not one of us in this room that cannot commit all of the sins that we can think of in our lives. Every person can be there because we all live in this body of flesh. But here's what Paul is telling us. Not only can everybody come to know the saving grace of God, but what's going to draw them to the saving grace of God, apart from us going out and telling them, is the fact that we as body of believers are united in the gospel. Why in the world would I want to be a part of your group if your group is fighting all the time? i got enough drama in my life. I don't need to be a part of your drama. right? Seriously, think about it. Now, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about not standing up for sin. I'm not saying about letting sin in. I'm saying that we as Christians, we as people, we as humans can get so fixated on the small stuff that we absolutely forget about the big stuff. And God has called us to the big stuff. This is what we celebrate Thanksgiving for. This is what we celebrate Christmas for. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. Why? So that we can be saved. So the world can be saved. 
church, we must be united in this. Paul tells us there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We're all one in Christ. And so if I can challenge you, if I can encourage you, church, last slide this morning, we must be united in reaching our world for Christ. That is the main thing. That is what we need to be united around. That is what we must come together and love each other so that the world looks at us and goes, hey, those church people, they've got something better than what this world has to offer. Right? I hate that the world looks at us and thinks that we're weird. That's fine, though. I want them to look at us as being weird and then going, hey, they've got something together. We're united. Right? That's fine. But the church, if we can't get our act together in the church, how are we going to take the gospel to the world? And praise God, there's no factions or anything in our church here personally. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying this is a universal church as a whole. And church, we need to make sure that we focus on the main thing. And we need to make sure that we are focused on what the main thing is. And that is this, preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ and going out into this community and being a beacon of light and drawing the world to Christ because they see the love and the grace of God pouring out of each one of us. That's the main thing. So you join me in uniting together to reach our world for Jesus Christ. Let's stand together in Jesus' name. Oh God, thank you so much for the salvation that you give so freely. And Father, there may be someone here today that would say, I don't even know what the salvation thing is, I don't know. And truly, it's a relationship with you. And I pray, Father, if there's someone here under the sound of my voice right now, that would just by the sincerity of their heart recognize they're a sinner. And just say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of that sin. I put my trust in your death, burial, and resurrection. And the best way I know how, God, I ask you to come and be Lord of my life. I pray, Father, anyone that would pray that prayer here today, that you will accomplish what you said you would do and you would save their soul.